you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. so be it. If nothing else, I'm so thankful for freedom. Amen? Amen, amen. I want to thank our praise and worship team. We are blessed with the best. Amen, amen. I also want to thank my pastor. Thankful for a man of God in my life that I can trust my soul to. When I read the word, when I listen to him, and when I pray, it all seems to line up, and I know I'm right in line with what God has for my life. Amen? I'm so thankful. I know he's gone right now, but I never want him to doubt or question what does Brandon think of my pastor. And I love my pastor. Don't you love your pastor tonight? Amen. And the pastor and sister Lytle, where would we be without them? I'm so grateful they are such friends. I look at them as leaders in my life. Um, He's only a couple years older. I heard he got a little ticked when somebody said he was mid-40s, I believe, but maybe late 40s. I heard somebody say that today, and I thought, my Lord, he's, he's not there yet, people. But I'm thankful for Pastor and Sister Lila. I'm thankful for what God has done in this church how he's kept a unit together and he's added to it. And we're grateful for what God has done in our church. Amen. Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. I'm going to be transparent as I can tonight. I have thought, prayed, studied, and tried to write about what God would have tonight. And everything worked out except the writing. And I've got a lot written down, but as I began to even try to find time before church, just to relook over that one last time, make sure you don't say something stupid. The Lord took that from me, and he just kept me busy, and I thank God for that. Tonight I'm going to trust him in all that he does. Amen? I do believe what God has given me lines up even with this morning's message. And so I want to read it to you, Exodus chapter 1, verse 8 through 11. We'll go straight to Exodus chapter 2, verse 22, and I'll remind you that here in a moment. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, 
which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us. And so they get up out of the land, therefore, and did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pethom and Ramses. Exodus chapter 2, 22 through 24 reads, And she bare him a son, and she called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. Somebody say, a stranger in a strange land. And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried. And their cry came upon God, upon to God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And I want to read chapter 6 verse 1 or 2 and it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. I want to preach for just a few moments as the Lord will let me tonight. Where to go once I'm free? Where to go once I'm free? I want to pray, if you will, with me that God would have his way in everything that comes across this microphone tonight. Lord, we thank you for what you've given us. God, I humbly stand before you, Lord. I feel confident, Lord, but I trust you in all things, God. I pray you'd have your way tonight. Have your way in this church, God, as the future even might not look certain, Lord. We trust you. You guide us, you lead us, and you have your way tonight, Lord. Even in me, we pray in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, where to go once I'm free? You may be seated. If I might, for just a few moments, I want to lay the groundwork of a simple Bible story. I believe it to be true, don't, don't get me wrong, but sometimes I love talking about Exodus and Moses and the children of Israel. He was probably one of the greatest leaders that the world has ever seen in the church. And I know it wasn't the church back then, but in God's people, he was one that was talked about almost as much as any of the others. And so we have it here in Exodus. Joseph died. And they got to Egypt because Joseph was a dreamer. And Joseph knew how to fulfill the will of God. And so they got there during drought and they began to stay. And eventually when Joseph was gone... The children of Israel had become great in number. So great that Pharaoh, a new Pharaoh decided, I need to do something about this. And the Bible says that this Pharaoh knew not Joseph. He didn't know who he was messing with. He just decided, I've got to make sure if, if anybody attacks us, that I can make sure that these people won't rise up against us also and destroy us. And so he became... Uh, a, a, sir, or a, a slave master and began to put people over the children of Israel. And he made slaves of them. And then he said, okay, now it's time for you guys to build us these two treasure cities. And treasure cities were cities where they would uh, hide not only treasure, but food and harvest. And it was big stock cities that 
had everything you could need for a country and for a kingdom to survive. And so um, they began to build these cities. And the Bible says that they were there for over 400 years in slavery until a young man or a young boy became born. And, and the Bible talks about them all through Exodus where Moses was born. And the Bible says that the mother laid him in the flags or in another interpretation calls it the reeds. And if you went to HYC or heard anything, we had Brother Victor Jackson preach to us and he preached about the reeds. And it was such a powerful message to think that Moses was laid in the very thing that, that would truly be how we know of the story. The reeds back in those days were how they made paper. And so they laid him amongst the paper. They laid him, in other words, amongst the word because that's what it was written on was that papaya, where we get the word papayas from, is, is, is in those reeds. And when you look at the Red Sea, it was really misinterpreted, the reed sea. And, and so it's amazing to think what Moses was laid in, in a little basket. The Bible says that the princess of, of Egypt went down there to wash and, and she began to look around and saw this little baby and, and drew him out of the water and she named him Moses. And everybody knew. There's scripture where even Moses talks about the Hebrew children knowing that they were his own. Everybody knew this was a Hebrew boy. They might have tried to hide it. It might be almost like the emperor's clothes. You don't talk about it. But here was this little boy being raised in the kingdom. Eventually the greatest leader the children of Israel had ever seen. And so as he begins to get raised up and becomes uh, to the age of 40, the Bible says that as one of his brother Hebrews uh, began to get uh, 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 um, whipped with a, a whip and everything began to go wrong, then Moses takes himself and decides to discipline his own men. The Bible says that he killed him and then he began to run off and, and was scared. And it was a moment where God could finally talk to Moses the Bible says that he took him and, and Moses was walking by and he saw this burning bush and, and, and the voice cried out and, and said, take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground. And it was a tree that was burning yet not consumed. And so Moses begins to find out everything about God at those moments. The Bible says that he, he begins to get the name of Jehovah and, and understand he's the great I am and, and everything that God is. He begins to reveal himself and to the point where Moses knows it's time to go and deliver the people. Amen? Making sure you're with me. And so as Pharaoh, the one that doesn't know any Joseph, begins to deal with Moses... The Bible says that when he was born, all of those babies, every other male was dead except for him. So imagine a man that only was that age in the male world and in, in, in all of the Hebrew children. Nobody else had the age of 40 when he was 40. They were either 37 or 36 or maybe a few years older. But all the babies of that age were dead that were men except for him. Moses growing up in the Egyptian palace, he knew the language he knew the laws. He knew the king's mindset. He knew everything there was to know about the place he was in. And when he was positioned where God wanted him, he decided to change location. And the Bible says that he spoke to Moses. And I already mentioned it where he said, I am uh, that I am. And, and, and he began to show him what was going to happen. And so as Moses went back to Pharaoh, the Bible says that there were these ten plagues. Has everybody heard the story? 
you get to the frogs, and when the frogs come up, and, and he asks Pharaoh, are you, are you sick of these frogs yet? And Pharaoh goes, yeah. He's like, well, when do you want them gone? And the answer is tomorrow. That's dumb. I don't want frogs gone tomorrow. I want them gone today. I think it was here where I preached a message about a snake. I saw a second snake just a few weeks ago. I, I killed it in Jesus' name. But at night, I'll hear the clicking. I, I just live over here, so these two little ponds, you hear the, the frogs just clicking away all night long. It's like there, it doesn't matter how many fans you have in your world. Could you imagine being overwhelmed by frogs? I get ticked when the little ones just start jumping towards my garage. And I'll grab things, and I'm not trying to smash them and kill them. They're frogs. I, they, don't, they don't freak me out like snakes. And so I try to grab something and just push them the other way, put something in them, and you know, stomp at them, and hopefully they'll jump. Could you imagine Pharaoh said tomorrow? Maybe he liked frog legs. I don't know what would make somebody decide that I'm okay with this until finally that tenth plague comes and we have Passover, and we know it also as Resurrection Sunday, the first fruit somebody mentioned today. It's, it's amazing to think of how much happened on that day when, when they would take the blood of the lamb and spread it on the doorpost, both sides and above them as they'd walk through it was a covering. You see, it didn't matter what was behind the door that, that, that God was concerned with. It was what was on the door. It's, it's not what's behind the covering. It's just the matter that we have that covering. That's, that's why we believe in coming to church and being saved. It's the covering. It's, it's not the man behind the covering all the time. God, God deals with humanity. And so here they were. Now the firstborns have, have all died. The, the, the right to the throne, the next one in line to take over when Pharaoh Ramses II passes away. His son is dead and he finally decides, get out. So they all begin to pack up and they, they estimate how many would have been with them when they gathered everything up. I can't imagine how uh, many it was, but when you add the numbers up, it's about 600,000 men, able-bodied fighting men. So then you not only had women, children, you had elderly, you had disabled, you had a bunch that weren't fighting ready. And so people estimate a couple of million that would have had to gather everything, everything we had, and leave. Now, they've been told nine times to leave, no stay, leave, no stay. Frogs are tomorrow. Leave, stay, leave, stay. And finally, you take out the firstborn, and the king says, get out. And so they had everything they wanted. They were free. But now the question is, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? It wasn't long until they hit the Red Sea. They began to ask Moses. They began to doubt. So Egypt was out of graves, so you brought us here. That's how the Bible says it. So you brought us here to die. They didn't have a place to bury us, so you're just going to have us buried out here where there's plenty of land. Is that it, Moses? Could you imagine? I don't, listen, my pastors asked me before, do I ever want to pastor? And this is about as close as I get sometimes. Could you imagine a few million people asking that question? Bunch of negative people. He just brought, he killed the firstborn of the king, and you're worried about if you got enough gravesite plots and all this other mess. It's like, learn to live in freedom. <laughs> and so they were at the sea, and so God and Moses have their little confrontation and have a talk. And so he begins to raise up his staff, and the sea begins to part, and they all cross it. And as Pharaoh comes on the, the land and comes on the sea, and, and he gets on that seabed, the Bible says he puts his arm down, and everything crashes over. and 
If you've never looked it up, you ought to look up. In that Red Sea, there are chariots that you can see the wheels are set on in, and coral reef is just all around it. Really neat, knowing that that stuff probably was from thousands of years ago. God's promises aren't lies. The Word of God is not a lie. I trust it, and I'm so excited those remnants are still around. And so as they begin to get out of there, then the world changes. Everything's different. Imagine, I'm going to talk about freedom a little bit tonight. That song, Sis, was right on point in what God had for tonight because so many times we accept that we have been set free. The Bible says that you are free indeed, but our minds aren't. Our actions don't say that we're free. They say that we're timid, we're not sure what to do with it, or, or Lord, if anybody finds out who I really am in Him, then I, I won't be nothing. And so they were free but did not know where to go. A lot of them wanted to turn around and head back into slavery because at least I would die with food and a place to lay my head. You ever wonder that about God? Sometimes we call this the Pentecostal movement. Because God's not interested in just letting us sit around. It's not about being in this world. It's, it's, it's being in it, but not of it. It's, it's not about just, you know, just living here forever and making this my forever home. I'm just passing through. I'm just a traveler passing through. And so God was beginning to show his children for the first time, this is how I operate. And the Bible says that he led them with a pillar of, of cloud by day and a fire by night, right? And they began to walk around aimlessly, and they had uh, manna. I read one place where it talked about the manna, and it's, it's sweet, and it's amazing. I've heard a preacher describe it as Krispy Kreme donuts. I'm not that vile. They're disgusting. <laughs> Hello? Maybe you all like them. All right. Too much glaze. They just pour too much on it. And so in those moments... They would be fed day and night. It would fulfill every need they have, every vitamin, every supplement, every substance. It took care of them year after year. And, and when they complained about that, when their minds weren't right about that, the Bible says that he began to give quail along with the manna. And he would make certain rules, and they would begin to follow. And they gathered all the stuff at one point for the tabernacle plan and, and built all the furniture and had the thing to, to carry around day by day. And it would lead them and guide them. God did this in an effort to set them free. Could you imagine your freedom requires a wilderness? And so in our lives, we walk around in this free state, not really sure what's next or what are we to obtain. And, and sometimes I question that. When I look to God and I say, Lord, I need your help, what is it that I need his help in? A new car? New clothes. It's not that we don't have needs, don't get me wrong, but sometimes I, I need God in a different way. I need Him emotionally. I need Him spiritually. I need Him to be a comfort, a, a, a prince of peace, and I need these things from God. And so there they were, the same pair of shoes and pair of clothes for 40 years, nothing wearing out, trying to change the mindset, I have you. I've got you. You're okay. You're taken care of. Well, what about my future? It doesn't matter. You're taken care of. What about my job? I, 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 I've got to work. You're, you're okay. You're taken care of. I've got you. We might not know all the answers. We not, might not hear from him audibly all the time. But if we'll just stay following the cloud, the fire, the word, if we'll stay following the spirit of God, he has us in our freedom. 
You want to know what this world is made of because so many times, especially as, as even a young person, it, it's tempting to say I'll work more just to make more so I have more. We'll justify everything in our lives, whether it's with a job or relationship, and we'll, we'll truly take chances in everything we do. Let me tell you what the world is all about. The world is full of binding people up. It is the ultimate slave master. In our world, there are 40 million slaves in the world today. You all thought it ended back at World War or Civil War or whatever. You all thought it was over and there aren't slaves. There are 40 million slaves today. In America, there's 150,000 people trafficked. They say that there's 1 in 10 children abused physically before the age of 18. And 9 out of 10 or 90% of them know exactly who did it. 41 million people received help for their mental state in the past year alone. If you don't understand what our world is after, it is our mind. It's our very peace that we trust Him for. It's those things in our lives. And, and when I look at the world, I understand this world is in the slave-making business. I haven't even touched vices that trap people. I haven't mentioned the news, the economy, our careers, world religion, none of that. Simply people being imprisoned and taken against their will. There are millions and millions of people in this modern day. Sometimes I just got to be thankful for what God's given us. That gas might be more than what we can afford sometimes, but the Lord is good. And He has brought you out of where you were. It's the last time you thought about where God's brought you from. In fact, Paul tells Timothy, be kind and meek in responding to those who quarrel with you, saying, they may come to their senses and escape from them the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his work. God led them to freedom. And the Bible says that they were led by a pillar of fire and of, of cloud by day and night. And he took 400, or 640 miles of travel to get them from their enslavement. I looked it up today. I was very curious. How far is about Cairo, is about where it's located? The Ramses and the, the, the Piedmont or whatever, those two little cities, those treasure cities. They have areas where they think that they happen. And I began to look, how far is that? And you know which way it showed me that they went? If you ever seen a search for truth track and you'll see where it goes across and it goes down to the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula and back up and over into Jerusalem. If you look up Google Maps today, it will show you that exact route. Who knew I could drive in about two days what took 40 years? And so the question becomes, why is that the only route? Because of the desert, the swamps, the mountains, the endless just drought and death and despair to where you have to make that journey 640 miles. But God was on a mission to get them out of their enslavement. Sometimes a journey might not make sense. Why do I have to go through this? But God's trying to pull you so far from something that if you decide, you know what, I'm going to stop here for a moment, it's not sitting right behind you. He's making sure that there's space between me and what used to hold me. I feel God, this, this week I, I, I talked to a, a, a co-worker. And this co-worker, he decided that he was going to open up a little bit. And another co-worker, they, they, 
people just find out that you go to church if, if you don't cuss with them? Hello? You ought to try it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm kidding. And so they began to ask him, and, and there was another coworker. I'll leave the names out. I know that one day they, they might come here, and I hope and pray that they do. And if they go back and watch something, I don't want them to ever feel like I was bad-mouthing or anything. I love the questions. And so knowing that I'm a minister, they begin to ask. The one other brother says, I, I believe in, in Christ, and um, I believe in the help of the Lord, and, and I have a strong faith in him. And I forget the exact word he used for that, but he, he begins to ask this third guy. He says, do you believe in God? And he says, well, I kind of believe in the, the thought of God, but I don't know. I don't really, you know, I really love the, the teachings of Jesus Christ. Now get this. He had a complete understanding that in the Christian faith, we believe that Jesus and God are synonymous. They're, they're one. He had an understanding of oneness, but he didn't like God, but he was very cool with Jesus. And he begins to talk about it. And he says, well, I feel that God is, is petty and jealous. And so I looked the words up. I'm okay with it. Because petty means that you concern yourself with the small, insignificant things. And I know scripture where it says he is a jealous God. I'm okay if my God might seem to others that he's concerned about little things and he's a little jealous. Because I know where he's brought me from. Some people might not have that understanding of what God is to them. And they might think that this maker of all is somehow some uh, a jerk or whatever the case might be. But when I look at God, the maker of all, who am I as creation to say that he's not good? Creator never gets to have creation say you're not good. That's the one fault of humanity. He gave us so much freedom that we have that ability. I'm thankful for all freedom that I have, but I'm also thankful that I'm smart enough to know that He is God of all. I don't have to question who He is and who I am in Him, and I know who I trust when everything begins to fall apart. And so I began to listen to them, and they talked about it, and he had uh, quite the uh, a colorful thought process of our world today, and he even began to talk about relationships, how things were different, and and how it was so skewed in our, in our modern era, like uh, believing in terms like a thruple where they would have a, 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 a married couple or a couple that was together and they would invite a third person to be a part of it. Just some real unnatural, ungodly things. It was never the will of God to be like that. He says it was in our generation now from 25 to 39 or so where that's a real common thing. You just have three or four people, none of them have kids, but they all consider themselves to be in relationship. And I thought, my world doesn't even know what enslavement looks like. We need to understand that sometimes. When you go to work, you don't even understand what they don't view as enslavement. Enslavement. I was uh, talking with my mother. I know she's here tonight, and I haven't asked her if I can talk about it, but I am. And uh, they have new policies all the time where she works, and they're pushing work on Sundays, and I've decided tonight, I felt the hand of the Lord touch me in, in it, because I thought, my, my God, wh why does she have to deal with that? And then the answer quickly came to me, nothing stops her from having church on Sundays, even at Walmart. 
we get so upset about what we can and can't do that we forget the fact that God's going with us. Nothing stops us. When the coworker has a divorce that's working in their life or when they're dealing with a child that's, that's rebellious or, or the loss of a child, it doesn't matter what the case is. Nothing stops me from taking God with me. He's pulled me out of this world. God can use me and work through me in this world. This was this 40 years where God taught and molded them. The Bible says he gave them commandments. He provided miraculously, and he set up the tabernacle. He set them free from their captors. Uh, uh, and, and it was Jesus who tells them the real master of this world is. And it says in John chapter 8, 34 through 36, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. It doesn't matter if I spend 40 years wondering, I'm free. It doesn't matter if I don't know what tomorrow might hold, I am free. My freedom is worth more to me than knowledge of the future. Amen? That's what we need in our lives. When Pastor Danny said it this morning, he said it right, that this life will always have turmoil. God planned it that way. You realize that? The Bible says when, when that, uh, that the lame man was going to get in the pool of Bethesda that the, the angel had to come down and trouble the waters. And the first one in got healed, right? Everybody remember that? You realize the goal was to be the first one in troubled waters. If you don't think God's okay with some turmoil, he'll, he'll mess up whatever he's got to mess up and he'll try to get us to get in it because if he's in control, it doesn't matter what's happening on around us. Doesn't matter in this world what's going on around us. God will bring you through because he's still the same just God. He's the one that is the peacemaker. He'll fight for you and he'll take care of you. So the children of Israel didn't decide, well, if you set us free, we'll work for you for money now. We'll stay here. No, you have to leave. It matters that you get away from that which has enslaved you. You all need to hear me. Sometimes it's a mental enslavement. Over the past five or seven years, I have felt such mental disturbance in my mind and my life. There's times where it has taken my sleep, worry or fear, whatever the case is. And I've learned I better just pray through it. I learned in the middle of the night, you know what? Now's a good time to go pray for somebody else. My kids don't know what's going on. There's times where I'll let them lay down and they say, Daddy, just lay with us for a minute. I will pass out. But around 2 o'clock, I'll wake up. I'm sitting on the edge of the bed, which is like a, a one-by-six piece of wood, you know, just horrible. And as I wake up, it's like, my Lord, I think I need to pray a little bit. I think I need to trust God a little bit. I think I need to just show him how good he still is. And even in the middle of the night when you can't catch your rest and the peace is gone, God is still in control. I might not know what the wilderness may bring. There might be times where snakes come and bite and you got to go and look up to something and, and change your whole world and realize the pain. But God has put it there to bring you through. You know what blows my mind? Let me just get there real quick as best I can. See that? You see how much I'm skipping? Amen. You can thank me later. There were 12 names. They're in here somewhere. The Bible talks about them. I just left them. Forget it. 
these 12 names are mentioned in the Bible, we only know two of the 12 as Joshua and Caleb. It's really wild as I begin to read the names. You've got to read some scripture to realize that Joshua's original name was like Hosea. And I was like, man, there's 13 names here. Just read the next verse, relax. It explains it. It'll show you where he changed his name to Joshua, son of Nun. That was his mother's name. <laughs> you can go catch up later. <laughs> and so as I read these 12 names, I wanted to find out what were these spies all about. Because this 40 years meant something. It killed off a generation. Now, if I'm set free, why did you kill us off? But God's purpose was to change a mindset. And so when I read the scripture where he was going to send off the spies, the very first verse says, And God told Moses, get 12 men. Get some men. And I want you to send them into Canaan where I've told you is the promised land. And I want you to let them scout it out and report back to, to you and see what they find. And so I look at it. I used to think forever Moses sent these men. Moses didn't trust God. Moses this, Moses that. But the Bible says that God told Moses, send the men. Man, that blows my mind. Why would God do that? Because when they came back, like 83% had bad findings. 10 out of 12 thought it was overcrowded. Giants. Everything's going to, we're grasshoppers. We got multiple millions of men. We are grasshoppers. They're giants. They're going to kill us. There's no way we can take it. And 17% said, listen, they got grapes. And they're huge. And everything about that place is as God, you know, it's everything we wanted. This is why we've walked all this way. We're just a few days away from it. And, and here we are. We're ready for what God has given us. But God put the test there. Do you understand why? Because God wanted to check where the mind was. He wanted to see how are we doing with our transition from slavery. Man, how am I doing? God brought me out of this world. He set me, he's, he's separated me. He's made me the soul of the earth. A city set on a hill that can't be hid. He's made me all I'm supposed to be. But since he's brought me out, even at a young age, how am I doing with my transition? That goes back to the title, doesn't it? Where to go once I'm free? Because it's not always about the destination, but it's mostly about the journey. And if I can't get it right in my mind early on, God's going to decide, okay, this is going to take a lot longer for you to get where I promised you to go. I've got to make sure it's right up here i got to make sure that my thoughts are pure. They're of his thoughts. That's why when it says in the Bible, think on these things of, of good report and, and, of, and of good virtue and all this stuff. Think on those things so your mind can get right and free from slavery. I can't think about the negativity. Whenever you pray for the sick, you better start thinking God's going to heal them. What if he doesn't? It's God. He's got the right to do whatever he wants, but I trust him. Because a good thing in my mind is that he heals them. A good thing in his mind might be to take somebody, but I'm going to trust God to be the healer that he said he was. It matters who we think about God and what we're doing with what we know in our lives. When I pray, when I spend my time with him, when I fast, I need to be thinking on good things. It's in those moments where I'm truly being a spy sent out. Well, what do you think of your world, Brandon? What do you think of your promised land? 
You want to be a minister? What do you think when I go to send you to pray for somebody in a coma? What do you think when I go and send you and everything seems too big for you? Everything seems like you're not going to defeat it. What do you think now of what I've given you? And if I haven't spent enough time out of slavery, if I haven't spent enough time thinking in my flesh, thinking, yeah, there's no way we're going to get this. There's no way we're going we're gonna to see God bless us and, and help us to grow a sanctuary and see this place full and, and doubled and tripled. There's no way he's going to give us dominion and, and regional authority. There's no way he'll, he'll quadruple our youth group. There's, there's no way, but I have to get away from enslavement. My mind cannot be wrapped up in slavery. I'm going to move quickly to the end. I want to tell you about something that is so prevalent. I had an opportunity about a year ago. I've forgotten the exact time. I think it was in the fall where we got to go down to Alabama and be with our friends, the Barbers. Or we, we love them to death. They were our youth president, and they uh, have a church down in Saraland. And it's funny, if you ever get on the exit in Lafayette, you'll see this sign for Bucky's, 552 miles. Anybody ever seen that? That's down there. And so I've been to that Bucky's, and I think that sign is the coolest sign ever. And so I've traveled 65 all the way out. I've seen the end of it. And there was one time where we were on our way down there, and I wanted to familiarize myself with Alabama the best I could, besides their little song about being sweet home. I know nothing about Alabama. And so I began to watch everything I could, and it began to mention this little place called Africa Town. And I researched it, and I, I did my due diligence, and I began to even read books on it because it was so intriguing. And they say it was the last place in America where a slave ship came and dropped off slaves. The story goes something like this. Thomas uh, Mayer decided, or Timothy Mayer, I'm sorry, decided that he was going to, after everything was illegal, he was going to take a boat and make it faster than all the rest. He was going to go over to Africa and he was going to get one last shipment of slaves and, and bring them back. And the story goes that he had a whole crew and he never told the crew why we're going. The music would like to come. And he said, uh, uh, we, don't, we don't know why we're headed this way, but uh, we know that we're trying to be fast and we're sleek. We're, we're sitting high up on top of the water, but the boat was 90-some feet. And, and we had enough uh, uh, in us to, to keep uh, topside. We weren't worried about... Flipping over, we weren't worried about any of that. We were good to go, but we're not really sure what we're heading over here for. And, and they got all the way over there, and everything was extremely illegal. Even uh, uh, the British and the French knew about it to where they were coming down to arrest people and, and to have sentencing and judgment right then and there for those that, that bought slaves. And somehow they met the king of this tribe who was notorious for selling people. And they would have everybody that was... Uh, from all these areas they conquered in Africa, and they'd, they'd put them in tribes together, and you could tell who was from what tribe because they would slash their faces as, as babies to see what tribe you were from, and they'd chisel your teeth to make sure that you looked like the tribe that you were a part of. And so Mayer loads up about 135 on their vessel, and they barely make their escape. They're, they're pushing as fast as they can as these steamboats are trying to come in and cut them off, and and, and to, to, to press charges and to hang them all and take them out. And, and the story goes that they made their way all the way back to Alabama. They got to Mobile and, and, and they get to that point and they unload them all. And then they take the boat just a few miles north to a place called 12 Mile Island. They burn it, they bury it, and they try to uh, just get rid of all of the evidence. 
And so as the Civil War comes to an end, these new slaves that were all 100% African, barely speaking any English, it was all broken, it kind of sounds like pygmy. If I, I remember men, uh, missionaries that have, have talked the way that they talk with the kissing me back and all this, it's it just extra vowels and things. It doesn't really sound like English, but you can make it out. And they begin to ask these people years later and do reports on them. So tell us about this little place of Africa town. And they said, well, this is our city. This is where we came once we were no longer slaves. And so they would buy parcels of land and the owners of the rest of the land would end up putting up little shacks almost and they'd rent it to them at exorbitant prices to where they would never really get too far away and they lived their life there, generation after generation. Even today, I, I rode in the car with bro Brother Barber just six or nine months ago, and I, I passed it, and I saw the sign, and I had heard enough about it. I said, bro, that's Africa Town." He said, yeah. I said, dude, you got to tell me about that. What's that like? I said, I, I wanted to go visit that while I was here. He said, man, I don't know that you need to be in that town. He said, it's depressed. He said, it's very violent. It's, it's not a safe place most of the time, especially if you're white. It's still very... Um, uh, just as uh, racist almost to the core to where you're just not welcome there. And I said, so why is it? And, and he elaborated a little bit. And so as I began to read, I realized that for about a hundred and some years that this town had a paper mill and uh, a couple of them, as, as I recall, where the paper mills, to make paper, you have to like push so many chemicals through it. And when it's done, they just dump them on the ground or they take them to the landfill and dump them on the ground. And there was no containment to where Africa town not only became depressed and, and, and the people would stay there. They would never really grow and grow into the nation or, or find their way out and about. Most of them just stayed there and there was, there was nothing there. They built the highways around them. There's barely an exit to get to it. So I began to realize what is so different about this place. Why is this such a depressed place? And then I read, whereas the slaves were set free, they would turn around to their master who owned all the land. And they would say, I want to buy this land from you. The documents show that they would buy even parcels right up against the mayor's property. The boat they rode was called the Clotilda. It's fascinating. They just found the thing four years ago at most. Buried, burned, trying to keep it hidden as best they can because they're so worried about having to pay reparations for all that they did, the illegal trading and bringing them here against their will and almost leaving them for dead, everything that happened. But I looked to those people, the African people that, that had no place to go, and I realized you know what you did once you got out of slavery? You stayed right in the backyard. God's not just trying to just set us free. He's trying to take you someplace. That journey might not make sense. It might go through all sorts of wilderness, turns and, and loss and, and, and not understanding and, and scary moments about what do I do now? But he's trying, just trying to mold and make you to be something different than what you are. You were never designed to just live where you were enslaved. He took them over 600 miles away from where they were. That's the God I serve. 
I don't know what the journey means all the time, but he's taken me from where I was. I'm not the man I used to be. There's songs that are singing all the time about it, and, and I'm going to be different, and I'm trying to get to my home over on that golden shore, and we, we've talked about it, and there's that mindset, I'm going someplace, and I can't be so locked into here. I can't be so worried about inheritance and, and properties and lands and, and trying to live in our world, but I'm so ready for God to do what he said he would. I'm not talking about escapism and, and trying to leave this place. I'm talking about a mindset where God is going to do what he said he would do. Stand with me. The Bible says when those 12 slaves came, or 12 uh, spies came back that the report, everybody started to believe, and they were worried that, that they're going to die, and, and God has just brought us out here to be killed by these people in Canaan land. As we read it, they, they finally have a curse that happens, and the Lord speaks, and He says that anybody over the age of 20, except for that 17% of the spies, Caleb and Joshua, anybody else over the age of 20, your mind will never get right. It'll never be transformed enough to see that God will give you what he said he would give you. You see, the Bible, and we, we preached it, that, that he's true to his promises. And we've always said it. He's going to let his promises come to pass. There's nothing we can do to stop him. But we can speak against them and hold them up. And I'm ready for God to do something in my life that he promised he would do ready for him to do something in my family's life and in my pastor's life and in my assistant pastor's life and in your life. I want God to do what he said he was going to do. And so over the next 40 years, everyone died off over the age of 20, except for Joshua and Caleb. And the Bible says that the first place they made it to was a little town called Gilgal. And I've preached on Gilgal before. It simply means the altar. There's something about the altar. It's the first place I want to be at when I'm ready to get my mind changed. When I'm ready to get my life changed and I don't know what to do, Lord, where do I go? What choice do I make? I don't know, but if I can just make it to Gilgal, if I can just find my place to an altar, this is where I'm going for. This is where I'm headed. The wilderness is a meantime. It's okay for now, but if you wonder where I'm headed, it's to the altar. It's to a place of change. It's to a place where God's word will be true and everything he promised will come to pass. As they begin to sing, I wonder, I wonder what your choice tonight is when you look at your life, when you see all the, the sorrow and despair and you worry about how am I going to make it to next week if I can just get to Gilgal. Oh, if I can just get to Gilgal. If I could just find a place where God has promised to take me. I open up this altar and I, I wonder what it would be if our minds, maybe you you feel depressed in your life, that's not of God. Or maybe you feel like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, uh, oppressed and anxious and I'm not sure what God's going to do. Find your place in Gilgal. He's trying to change our mind. I wonder what it would be if you would just make your way to the front. You'd find a place to lay yourself before God and ask Him, change my thoughts. Lord, I trust you. In all things I say and do, I trust you. That's it, church. Why don't we cry out for a moment?
I'm glad you made those steps forward. Don't stop praying now, but I want to challenge you. Stepping is great. That's what they did through the wilderness. But when they got to Gilgal, when they stepped on that dry land, there was a fight. There was a cry. There was a change that happened. There was monuments and memorials that were made. So tonight, maybe you need something from God, and you've been too far in that wilderness. If you're praying, I want you to pray, but maybe some of us can bind together and unify together. Lord, take us, God, through this wilderness. Take us further. Why don't we pray for one another? Why don't we ask God to do what he does best? Have your way, Lord. Jesus,